0: I, uh, I appreciate that song, Cynthia, um, Spirit. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit a little bit tonight. I wish I I, wished I had about two hours. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> we've, been, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit, at, at in-spirit, um, for the last three or four weeks. We've been walking through the Bible for the whole year. And the whole intent is um, many of the people that we have that are relatively new, and don't under, Don't maybe, they're new in their faith, so they don't have a, a, a good understanding of the Bible. But honestly, who of us really does, right? We're on this journey, continuing to learn. So for the whole year, we're doing a walk through the Bible. Uh, we're going Genesis right on through Revelation. And um, we're taking the account of creation, we're taking the account of the fall, we're looking at Israel's history, we're looking at the wisdom literature, we're looking at the prophets, right? And then there's that 400 years of silence between the two Testaments. And it's like the people had given up hope, right? There's this Savior, they understand, they don't understand, the prophets prophesy, the promise is promised, but nothing happens, right? And then Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, right? And they're thinking this great big thing is going to happen. Well, it is a great big thing that happens, but it's through a tiny baby. It's a little thing. But it becomes a big thing, right? So we look at Jesus' life through the Gospels, and then we get to the book of Acts. And tonight I want us just to kind of listen. This is more of a teaching than a, than a sermon. It's kind of a reflection. I want us to look at the book of Acts. Um, Acts is a pivotal book. We're not going to look at the whole book. But we're going to look at pieces of the book. And we're going to look at the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And what happened when the Holy Spirit came. And what's happened since then. Okay, How that impacted the world and how the Holy Spirit's coming is really a pivotal moment in Christian history, if you will, in God's history of the world. Because you have this God who came in the very beginning, right? In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, and he makes man, and he comes to earth, and he, he spends time with man. Adam and even God do this walking in the garden. They're together. But then they don't see God, right? God's not walking, he's walking with them, but not in person except for Moses and Elijah. You get to the New Testament, Jesus comes down. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, right? And Jesus is working and doing ministry and living among his people and building his disciples, right, gathering his disciples. And then Jesus is crucified, died, buried. He descended into hell, rose again, right? And he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Now God with us is gone again. But before Jesus leaves, Jesus says, I'm going to send someone to be with you to be not only with you, but send someone to be in you. And that person is never going to leave. Jesus was with his people. People went, came from all over to gather, to see him, to be healed by him, to hear him. But when he was gone, he was gone from the right. Jesus says, I'm going to send this paraclete. Okay? I didn't say parakeet. I said a paraclete. That's the Greek word for comforter or helper. And this person's going to be with you. He's going to live with you. He's going to dwell in you. He's going to empower you. Big things are going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus ascends, right? So then we get to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts in chapter 1, we get the account of Jesus' ascension. In chapter 2, we get this Pentecost. And the people are gathered from all of these nations, tribes and tongues... And they go to Jerusalem for this Pentecost fast. And they hear this mighty wind, right? They hear a wind like never before. And all of a sudden they hear each other speaking in each other's languages. And they understand it. And there's tongues on them. And they're speaking in tongues, right? It's this phenomenon, And it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I wish we could just talk about that. But let's talk about what happened after that, because when you get to the end of Acts, chapter uh, two, verses forty-two through forty-four, it talks about what happened with the believers. All of a sudden, you have this movement of a church. The believers gather, and they fellowship, and they worship, and they pray, and they eat, and they sell their possessions, and they share to anyone who had need. And it says their numbers grew daily. Wouldn't you love for your church to grow daily? That's what happened. Unbelievable with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's chapter two. When you fast forward to chapter nine, the church is growing. Churches are growing. And you get this chapter about Saul, who becomes Paul, his conversion. And I want to look at that with you tonight, and I want to do a couple of things with that. Let's look at scripture, but first let's pray. Father, Again tonight, Lord, this is, this is good stuff. It's your word. And uh, I, I just pray that you would just open our, our hearts and help us to understand the story of Saul who became Paul and the transformation, how the Holy Spirit worked then, how the Holy Spirit works now. And then through what we read, teach us what it means and help us to live that. Help us to grasp it. These words of old so relevant and pertinent for us today so lord just bless this teaching bless your word bless us as we spend this time together in jesus name amen so i'm going to have you turn to acts chapter 9 with me and we're going to look at verses 1 through 19 acts chapter 9 1 through 19 and if you'll open your bibles and turn to that It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? He's talking about that. If anybody belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple, a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus "'Named Saul, for he's praying. "'In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come "'and place his hands on him to restore his sight. "'Lord,' Ananias answered, "'I've heard many reports about this man "'and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, "'and he has come here with authority from the chief priest "'to arrest all who call on your name. "'But the Lord said to Ananias, "'Go,' immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see it again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. That's as far as I'm going to read for the moment. I'm going to share more in a minute. What I want you to see here tonight and I'll try not to go too fast. I sometimes do that but I want you to see this pivotal moment in scripture, if you will, if you look back and if we looked at each verse in that text, there's a lot going on here. There's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? This has happened already back in chapter 2, we get to 9. Saul has been persecuting people and all of a sudden he has this encounter with Jesus. He's blind and Ananias has to go pray over him, right? There's all of these different dynamics. And in that text, this says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer, But there's this movement of the Holy Spirit and Saul, Paul, we'll call him Paul, right, because that's how we know him today, gets caught up in all of this. There's this movement because we went from the God of the Old Testament to Jesus in the New Testament to the Holy Spirit working among men, working in people, working in Paul, working in Ananias to bring about a pivotal change in Scripture, if you will. So what I want to do tonight is a couple of things. I want us to look at Saul. I want us to look at Saul himself, who he was and what he did. And then I want to look at it and see what his conversion, and we could do so much with this, with what his conversion means and what it means to us. How do we take this and bring it into our context? So who was this Paul or this Saul guy, right? Well, he was born in Tarsus, it says, to Jewish parents. He was a Roman citizen, Whenever Paul got in trouble, he he raised his Roman trump card and said, "Hey, you can't do this to me. I'm a Roman citizen. I have rights." He wasn't just an ordinary person. He had rights and privileges. He was a tent maker, a leather maker, if you will. He was a worker by trade, and Paul was well educated. Paul was a Pharisee. He might even call him the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul was trained by the best of the best. He was trained by Gamaliel, who was one of the top rabbi professors at the time. If you were trained by Gamaliel, you were something. Jesus didn't like the Pharisees, did he? When the Pharisees and the Sadducees were having their little argument and said, what's the greatest law of all in Matthew 22, Jesus said, it's not about the law, you guys. He said, it's about love. Well, this guy's all about the law. He is zealous. What does that mean? He will kill for his faith and what he believes. Anybody who was a follower of the way, he would kill. Or he would take them to be persecuted or prosecuted. He was one of the leading persecutors against Christianity of the day. That's our friend Paul. Why would he do that? Why would he wanna persecute the Christians? Well, Christianity, as we knew seven chapters earlier, was spreading like wildfire. The church was growing daily. The Christians were a problem in Rome. Roman citizenship, Jewish versus Christian. If he could take them out, he'd look good. So he'd build a name up for himself. But through this personal encounter this revelation, a change in conversion, he dedicates his life. He does a complete 180. Don't say he did a 360 because that puts him back where he started. He did a 180 and turned completely around. And this is the Paul who would go on and do four missionary journeys throughout the Mediterranean. Start, ship, start churches everywhere. He went from persecutor to preacher to writer Because of the Holy Spirit, this conversion. And Paul would stop at nothing. He would stop at absolutely nothing and go through everything to share the gospel. If you go back and look at the text, as I said before, it says how he would be persecuted. I want us to look at another piece of scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians with me, chapter 11. And I want you to see what Paul went through. And I'm going to go somewhere with this at the end of the text. I'm going to tie those two texts together. 2 Corinthians 11, 16 through 33. I'll give you a second to to get there. Starting at 16... Of chapter eleven, Second Corinthians, it says, "I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool, since many are boasting in the way the world does. I too will boast." You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrew? So am I. Are they Israelite? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? Am I more? I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches." If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascus guarded, guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. How would you have liked to hung out with Paul, huh? If Paul said, let's go on a missionary journey, let's take a cruise on the Mediterranean together, how many would say, pick me or sign me up? After Paul's conversion, Paul was passionate. Paul persevered. Paul pressed on. He stopped at nothing. But Paul paid a price, didn't he? Paul paid a price. In fact, Paul's goal was to live Christ. Even to death. And that's exactly what happened. Paul's message was to be crucified if that were the cost. Bringing all this together, what can we learn from it tonight? The first thing is this when you look at the conversion of what happened on the way to Damascus, when you look at the encounter of Ananias, when you look at Saul's previous position as a persecutor of the Christian. Christians, and you look at God's intervention through the Holy Spirit, the fact is that God can change the hardest of hearts. I'm going to challenge you to go back and read these. But God can change the hardest of hearts. If you're like me, sometimes we question people, their actions, their hearts. And we say, how can their hearts be so hard? How can they be so cold? How can they be so calloused how can they be so against or different than god would want a person to be there's people that you and i don't dare confront because we know they're going to challenge us or blast us when we do aren't there maybe they're not as bad as saul but maybe there's a little bit of saul in them people who've walked away from churches walked away from god and said, I don't want anything to do. They were believers at one point and walked away. Or people that have said, I will never believe in a God. Because why would a God, a good God, allow the things that are happening to happen? Am I right? You hear those things. Cold, not accepting God, walking away from God. I'm going to tell you, don't write that person off. Don't write them off. Yeah, it's okay to question their faith, but don't write them off because God does miracles still. God can change the hardest of hearts. Now, don't read into this in any negative way, but I pray for our leaders for wisdom. I pray for world leaders with wars going on. Sometimes I think, how can this be so cold? How can they be so hard? How can they be so harsh? This is not what God wants, but I pray. I pray, my church prays for changed hearts because when you look at the story of of Saul, who he was and then becoming Paul, it's proof that God can change the hardest, coldest, calloused hearts and he can still do that today. Don't ever give up on somebody who's walking away from the faith or says they don't believe because this is proof through prayer. We need to pray. Now, I'm not, praying, I'm not asking that you pray that God steps in and blinds them by the light like happened in Damascus, but sometimes it's an earth-shattering, shocking, disastrous thing when people come to Christ, isn't it? We have to let God do his work so that his work can be done, and that's exactly what he did with Saul who later became Paul. Paul. God does these things. Don't give up. There's always hope. The second thing is this. God uses people like you and me to reach other people. Who is this Ananias guy, right? Well, we don't know a whole lot about Ananias. What we do know is there's several Ananiases, but this Ananias, says, was a member of the church. Like any one of you. He's a member of the church. It didn't say he was a leading priest in the area, a leading minister in the area. It doesn't say he was a leading elder or deacon or anything like that. It says he's a member of the church, God says, hey, Ananias, um, I got a job for you. You need to go to this house on Straight Street, and you need to go and lay hands on this guy named Saul. Um, He's blind, and Ananias is like, who, me? Um, Jesus, do do you know, God, do you know what this guy does? He persecutes Christians. He kills them, and you want me to go there? And the message he gets isn't one of great... Confidence, he just says, go. (laughs) Just go. Ananias trusted, probably scared out of his britches, but he trusted and went. And God used him to convert Paul or Saul at the time. I look at that, and I just look at how God uses imperfect, ordinary people sometimes to get the job done. What seemed insurmountable or impossible wasn't so bad i ananias when the job was done had a bit of self-gratitude and was pleased with what happened what am i saying in this be sensitive to god's leading when he calls you to go somewhere and you don't want to go our world needs goers today our world needs people to speak into other people the goodness of God's grace and love, but we need to speak the gospel, don't we? You're looking at me like I'm nuts. It's our job. Jesus' last words in Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and make disciples. We don't like to make disciples. How do we make disciples? Discipling is hard. Just go make followers. What do followers do? They follow Jesus. Be Jesus, bring Jesus, right? God uses people like you and I reach others the key is to be sensitive to his leading we're doing a men's bible study at in spirit and we just started a few weeks ago and um, I got a little flack from some of the ladies going well why can't we you ladies can have your own bible study the men need to get together and discuss men's stuff huh and uh, it's been good (laughs) some of you are laughing like what's going on over there right trust me it's all good but we've been getting into some great conversations, right? And we looked at Adam and Eve for the last couple of weeks and sin and the fall. When we come back in another week, we're going to look at the call of Abraham. We're going to look at the call of Moses. I don't think those two guys knew at all what they were getting into, but look at how God used them to bring us here, to be the father of nations, to build an ark when there never was rain, when God said, just do it. At 80 years old, and you're going to have a child. <laughs> the gospel God is so rich with stories of goodness and, and miracles and grace, and how He uses just ordinary people who don't want to go to get the job done. The third thing is believers are called to pursue a higher standard of life. I didn't say pursue a higher standard of living. A higher standard of living is a U.S. term, economic term, right? But a higher standard of living, or a higher standard of life rather, not living, is to live like Christ. God's design is for us to live like Christ. If throughout the New Testament we're told to model, right? We're told to model Jesus, to be Jesus. That's a calling. That's a calling on every one of us. And to live that life of Christ is to be sacrificial. It's submissive and obedient. And if you really want to summarize some of what Paul is saying here, he's just saying Christ alone. Live Christ alone. That's the call of life we're, we're, we're called to. And the fourth thing is the Christian life isn't always easy, is it? And so you see some of you shaking your heads. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of trouble, isn't there? You can say amen with me. It's okay. You can say it louder. Amen? amen? Thank you. Just making sure you're on the same page with me here. There's a lot of trouble. There's no doubt there's a lot of trouble. I'm not here to bring gloom and doom. But the world is not getting any friendlier towards Christians or Christianity or the church, is it? It's not. And Scripture tells us that. And we see that in this story. The truth is, our lives are still to be lived on purpose. Serving, sharing, pointing others to Christ. The walk isn't easy. I shared with you earlier my walk, and this isn't about me. But at the end of the day, we sit down and say, Surely, God is good. God is good. He doesn't always deliver us from our problems. He doesn't always take, us, take them away, but he does walk with us in them, doesn't he? He walks with us in them. That's Paul's story, if you will, and it's our story. And I guess if I want to leave you with a couple of things to summarize it again, I said it's more of a teaching than a sermon. I'm giving you a lot of stuff. I challenge you to go back and read it But one of the things that you look at, your life, my life, someone else's life, Paul's life, is God never wastes a minute of life. God is at work 24-7, every minute of our life. Everything that happens is on purpose. I've shared that a lot lately, and that's often difficult to do. But I was at a three-day pastor's conference. It was called The Later career pastors conference I thought what on earth does that mean the later like are you going to hand us our retirement dates last week or what they didn't but it was a three-day seminar about pastors who are in their later years of ministry I didn't sign up for that title they just put me in that category but the reality with that is we all realized the difficulties of ministry and life, but that God doesn't waste a minute of those. And when we sat in there, we said, what are our next chapters? What does God want from us? What does God want from our churches? How does God want us to lead? How does God want our congregations to look?" There are so many questions in our denomination right now. And this I know, that God has us exactly where he wants us or he wouldn't have us here. The question is, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here as a people in a world that's changing faster than we can imagine? We have a hard time keeping up with the changes and trying to figure out. God's not wasting a minute of it. In fact, I think he's bringing his plans together faster and faster. But that's my opinion. But this I know, the past prepares us for the present... And the present prepares us for the future. And the presence we live in, in that presence we have a mission. We have a mission. And I'm going to close with Paul's life mission statement, and it's from Philippians 1, starting in verse 20. And he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. I hope that's your prayer that when you go out as a witness that you will never be ashamed to share the gospel of Christ, to share the good news and share the truth because people need to hear it. It's what Jesus called us to do. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way be ashamed, but that I will have sufficient courage so that I will now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether I live or by death, by life or by death. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. What does that mean? It means God's not done with you and I yet. He's not done with you and I yet. I'll close with a story. Several weeks ago, Lisa and I, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, and uh, I was at the conference grounds, like Henry said, we like to spend time out there, my wife's on staff, and I had a pastor call me, and he said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure, and I knew him well. And he says, today? Yeah. Might take a shorter nap, but (laughs) yep, you can meet with me today. Where are you? I said, I'm at the conference grounds. He said, I'll, I'll, by your trailer? Yep, I'll come over. Within a half an hour, he came over and he sat down and he looked at me and I just thought, what is going on here? And Lisa was there with me and he looked at me and he said, When are you going to get on with what God has called you to do? And I said, What do you mean? And he said, When are you going to get back to your calling? Like, what do you mean? He says, You are a church builder. You're a church planter. And I said, Yeah. He says, I know you're a good pastor. He says, I know you love your people. You built a good church. But he goes, You're a church planter. When are you going to get on with your your ministry of church planting? (laughs) I'll be 62 next month, just at the later pastors' conference. And I said, oh, I don't, I don't know. I said, I, I don't know if, if I can do that, if it would be good for my health. If I could do another plant. And he straight looked at me. He said, God gave you a second chance at life. Get on with it. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do with that. I talked to a couple other pastors and said, well, what was this about? And they said, you are being faithful to your calling. But maybe God wants you to plant another church. Where am I going with that to finish the story? God did miracles in me. God did miracles in Paul. You and I have over half of the New Testament today because of Brother Paul. 14 of the 27 letters in the New Testament were written by Paul. What would have happened if Ananias wouldn't have gone to play a role in God's plan to convert Paul that day, Saul that day? What would history look like? Would we have half the New Testament? Would we be sitting here as a New Testament Christian church? What is God calling you to do that you don't want to do? Whose life is God calling you to step into that just your presence and maybe a few words may change their life and bring them closer to Christ or maybe bring them to Christ? Get on with it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this reminder. Kind of hard words. We like to be comfortable But, Lord, you don't always call us to be comfortable. You you call us to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable following your plans. But, Lord, we know that you are a God of miracles today. We know that you are a God who uses people like us, ordinary people created in your image to carry out your purposes. Lord, give us faith. Give us courage. Your world, the world we live in, needs to see you. And the only way that's going to happen is when we go. When we go to the tough places, when we have the hard conversations, they're not easy, but, Lord, when we show up and speak the truth in love, when we be Christ to those around us, we know that you can and will do mighty and great things. Lord, to do that, we need that filling of your Spirit. We don't often talk about the Spirit. We talk lots about Old Testament God, New Testament Jesus, we don't always talk enough about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit within us. So Lord, my prayer tonight is that if we leave this place, we not only think about the things we've heard, think about the challenge before us, but that each of us ask for a fresh filling, the presence of the Holy Spirit, so that we can accomplish all that you have for us and not waste a minute of our lives. Lord, we just seek to honor and glorify you Give us the strength, the wisdom, your presence for that journey. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.